Well, today's preaching passage comes from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. And to give a little context, I'm going to be beginning in chapter 7, verse 54. You'll remember that Stephen has just given this speech before the religious leaders. And in verse 51, he said, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. So let's pick it up in verse 54, Acts chapter 7. This is God's word. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. This is God's word. Well, go ahead and keep your Bibles open. We'll be looking at that passage, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 8, uh, together this morning. My aim today is that we would all be more active in personal evangelism. That we would be more, more active in sharing the good news that we would all be more active in telling other people about Jesus. And that voice that says, give me Jesus, would hear a responding, here's Jesus. That's my, that's my goal this morning. And I've called the sermon, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mouth. It's a play on words of a famous book that was written a few years ago now, which was called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind, calling evangelicals, that is people who believe the gospel, the word evangel simply means good news or gospel, gospel people, it was calling on gospel people to think, absolutely. But now, I think there's another scandal. And that scandal is the scandal of the evangelical mouth. That we don't speak the good news in the way that we could or that we should. Let me give you one statistic that bears out my, uh, my claim, therefore my aim this morning. A recent uh, survey uh, demonstrated that in America, at least... 79% of people were open to hearing 
someone else share their faith. 79%, vast majority of people, your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues, 79% of people are open to hear a message about your faith. But at the same time, the same survey showed that only 39% of Christians had actually shared the good news with someone else in the previous six months. There's a gap. And my aim, my goal this morning, is to close that gap. It's, it's not just about pastors and staff and elders. It's all of us. Oswald Chambers, one of the great Christian writers, uh, once said that there is an art of conversion that belongs not just to the minister, but to every grown-up Christian. And it's that art of conversion, that art of sharing the good news. And you may be listening and saying, well, I'm not yet a Christian. I want to hear the good news. I'm going to share it with you. I want to make sure that everyone who is a grown-up Christian, everyone who really knows Jesus, is now motivated and equipped to speak the good news, to close that gap. So that's my goal. And to that end, I'm going to retell this story that we just had read out. And the way I describe this story is that it's a tale of two cities, Jerusalem and Samaria. And as we go through this story, what we will learn is that God sovereignly, sovereign means his kingship, his rule, God sovereignly uses persecution and other difficulties that we Christians, the church, face to cause us to spread the good news. So let's, let's listen to the story and see how it impacts us to close that gap, to be more active in sharing the gospel, the good news. Uh, first city, Jerusalem. This is uh, verses uh, 1 through to 3. And uh, you'll see there as you look down at that passage that uh, in Jerusalem there's now a, a huge crisis facing the church. Jerusalem, of course, was meant to be God's city. It's the holy city. It's the place where David had his throne. It's where the temple is. And in the early days of the church, the new church, the new movement of God, the temple within the temple, the real work of God had begun to build. Indeed, many, many thousands had come to faith in Jesus. But now, a persecution has begun. And Saul, who will become the great apostle Paul, but now, before he becomes a Christian, is at the forefront of going from house to house. These thousands of people who had met in the temple, these thousands of followers of Jesus who had met together. Now Saul led a cohort of people, secret police, to knock on individual Christian families' doors and drag them off to prison. Huge persecution facing the church. Now the question, of course, would be, why, why is God doing this? And you may ask the same thing. Why, why, why has God brought about this, this global situation this, and, and all the complexity? That, that it, that, that, what is God up to? And to answer that question, it's always good to go back to the Bible. And I think those early Christians began to remember what, what Jesus had taught them. If you looked at uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he had specifically said that they were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Well, they've been his witnesses in Jerusalem, but not yet in Samaria. And now God sovereignly used persecution to get them speaking 
to get them out there, to get them witnessing. And you say, well, how, how could that be? How can God allow, sovereignly enact bad things on good people? What kind of God is this? Well, there are two ways to answer that. One is intellectual and the other is more emotional. Let me do both of, us, uh, both of those for us this morning. The intellectual one, I think, was in some ways best summarized by Charles Spurgeon, who was once asked, how do, you, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and human responsibility? That is, how do you reconcile the fact that God is sovereign and humans are also responsible for their actions? How do you reconcile a good God with bad things being done by bad people to good people? How do you, recognize, how do you reconcile these two things, God's sovereignty, and human responsibility. And Charles Spurgeon, as quick with wit as ever, just simply replied, I don't try to reconcile them. I never try to reconcile friends. Because in the Bible, they're friends, God's sovereignty and human responsibility. J.I. Packer, in his uh, book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, put it like this. He said, the world makes God's sovereignty a matter for controversy, but in the Bible, it's a matter for worship. And then another place in that book, he said this, God's sovereignty, far from being the enemy of evangelism, in fact, God's sovereignty, his sovereign government and his good grace is the only thing that can motivate it. Yes, indeed. God is king. And the situation that you're in, the situation that I'm in, the situation that we're in is sovereignly designed by God to motivate us, to equip us, to inspire us, to put us back on mission of speaking the gospel of Jesus to close, to close that gap. As A.W. Pink once put it, the sovereignty of God is simply saying that God is God. Well, I say, well, that's fine intellectually, but what about emotionally? Well, let me tell you a way to get into this emotionally. Ravi Zacharias, great Christian apologist, evangelist, uh, went to be uh, with Jesus this, this last week. He died. And uh, Ravi Zacharias was one time asked that question. How do, you, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty with bad things happen? How do you put that together? And in answer to that, with having done the intellectual piece, he then told a story that connected with the emotional piece. It was a story, he said, from the East. He said there was a man once who had a horse And someone came and uh, stole the horse from him. And his neighbor said to to this man, he said, terrible bad luck. And the man said, what do I know about these things? A few days later, that horse was brought back with 20 other horses that had come back together with this horse, gathered as a group. 20 other horses. His neighbor said to him, terrible good luck. And the man said to him, what do I know about these things? A few days later, the man's son was out training these new horses. He fell and he broke his leg. The man's neighbor came to him and said, terrible bad luck. The man said, what do I know about these things? A few days later, a band of marauding militia came and grabbed all the young men of the village, but did not grab the man's son because he had a broken leg and he was not taken into danger. Don't judge the end from the beginning. Don't pretend that you know what God is doing. Look to God's word and decide that you will trust that, that God is sovereign, that he has put you where you are, that he is giving you the friends that you have, that he's put you in the work situation that you are in for the sovereign purpose of opening your mouth, evangelical, and filling your mouth with the evangel, the gospel. 
not just in Jerusalem, but in Samaria. So it's a tale of two cities. God sovereignly is using the persecution of the church and other troubles that we may face to push us out towards telling the gospel. Jerusalem and Samaria. Let's look at Samaria. Samaria, verses uh, 4 through through to 8. And while in uh, Jerusalem you had Saul and persecution and prison, in Samaria, Samaria, you have Philip preaching the gospel. You have people sharing the gospel. The word in verse 4 where it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The word there for preaching the word is actually gospelizing. It's probably the most literal way I put it. In other words, it's not pulpit work. It's not ministry preaching, it's gossiping the gospel. Wherever they went, remembering God's sovereign purpose that he announced, announced, I will make you witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Now we're in Samaria. They began to speak. They began to gospelize. In Samaria... Samaria of all places? Jerusalem was meant to be God's holy city. Samaria, for many Israelites at the time, was, was beyond the pale. Was not acceptable. If you've ever read or remember Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, you'll, you'll realize how Israelites at the time felt about Samaritan people. They were half-breeds. They were heretics. They didn't worship God correctly. They had compromised. And yet it's in Samaria that God does this amazing revival. And it comes. It comes as every single Christian. Not just Philip. Not just the preacher. But every single Christian. Young, seniors, graduating. Teenagers. Children, you know, sometimes I think the best evangelists on the face of the planet are eight-year-olds. Eighty-year-olds, you know, you never, you never get too old to share, some, share the gospel. One theologian that was a friend of our family's was a Cambridge theologian. He was uh, for many years in, in a nursing home when he got older. And what did he spend his time doing there in that nursing home? Turning everyone about Jesus. You're never too old. You're never too young. God is sovereign. He's put you where you are for this sovereign purpose that you would share the good news so that those listening this morning, so that those friends that you have would actually have the opportunity. 79% are open to hearing you share your faith. Only 39% of Christians in the last six months have actually done so. But those early Christians, when they went to Samaria, they began to share the good news. They realize, as Abraham Kuyper long ago put it, there is not one square inch of all of, ho- of human existence where Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not declare mine. And so they share the good news. The Lord is king. I, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm, they, weren't, they weren't sitting around going, oh, those... Those terrible people were persecuted. That outrageous Saul. They weren't talking about that. What they were talking about was Jesus. They understood God's sovereign purpose. That their mouth will be filled 
Not with judgmentalism, not with anger, not with division, not with caustic rumors. But on every Facebook page, on every Instagram post, on every tweet on Twitter, they had one word and one message, give me Jesus. And they told the people, Jesus. What a, and the word spread. In Samaria, of all places? Yeah, in Samaria. You, you know, in our region, DuPage County, survey was done, uh, putting together various statistics that we, we have now of religious affiliation. It's estimated that about 13, 13% in DuPage County, our little portion of Chicago land, our little portion of the globe, about 13% would call themselves evangelical Protestants. That, that is, they would call themselves people who believe the gospel. One, three, 13%. About 7% would call themselves mainline Protestants. That is, they wouldn't have such a high view of scripture as we have at College Church and, and other things as well. About 40%, four, zero, will call themselves Roman Catholics and the rest is unaffiliated. Now, I I don't know how you assess those statistics and decide exactly what percentage is going to go to heaven, what percentage is really born again, what percentage are really saved, but it's a lot that is not. Have we got our work cut out for us? How are we going to do it? We're going to do it when we embrace the sovereignty of God who has put us here to witness. You're wondering what your life's purpose is? Open your mouth that you might declare his praises. Scandal of the evangelical mouth. Let it be no more. Take out of the mouth all the, the lies, the attacks, the antagonism, put in the mouth. Christ. Speak of him. It's, it's not just me. It's not just up to the ministry. Say, what is the gospel? Let me tell you what that is, the good news. In, in just a few words, God asked Jesus' a response. God made everything to be in a relationship and made us to be a relationship of loving obedience to him. We, us, all rebelled against that God and sought to make ourselves God. And God, in his infinite justice, declared that the penalty for that rebellion was death and separation from him eternally. But God, who is not only a just God, but also a loving God, sent Jesus to take the punishment that we deserve. So, response, if we repent and believe... That is, commit our lives to him, turn away from our old way of living, and follow him. He'll forgive us, we'll receive his spirit, and we'll start on a new relationship with him. There's an art of conversion that belongs not just to the minister, but to every grown-up Christian. You say, I don't have that art. Start to learn. 
Get on YouTube. Look, look at the videos of Ravi Zacharias. Learn how he graciously and yet with great clarity answered questions. Learn. Search it out. Practice. Make mistakes. Learn from your mistakes. Go ahead again. Uh, we've, I, I've written a resource that you might find helpful, which is simply called Come Home. It's PDF. We could send it to you. You can send it to anyone else. It's a, it's a retelling of the story of the prodigal son, just saying, come home. You can use that tool. There are many others. God is sovereignly using the persecution that came upon the church to cause us to open our mouths. One of my favorite stories of that goes back to the former Soviet Union. The church in the former Soviet Union experienced great persecution from time to time. And there was a stage where they were only allowed uh, to meet uh, on Sundays and not have any other special meetings, apart from funerals. And so in the creativity of those Soviet Christians, when a member uh, died in the church, they'd have a funeral, of course. And they'd invite in all their friends and all their friends' friends, and they'd pack the place out. And in that funeral, the minister would get up and, and preach the gospel. And they used to joke, you know, some of our members have died several times. So they could have several funerals and several evangelistic events. And their mouths were open to declare the praises of God. You know, I, this has been a deeply emotional week for me because of the death of that great apologist, Ravi Zacharias. I didn't know him personally. One time when I was a young man, I introduced him at an event in, in England, and I, I remember that he had, at the time anyway, he had a particular requirement that in the pulpit to help his, you know, if you're a preacher, you're preaching a lot, I, I, I experience this, sometimes you need something to help with the, the throat, and at the time anyway, he had a particular requirement for, for warm, not cold, but warm tomato juice, tomato juice, and I was instructed to make sure that it was warm tomato juice, and I was so nervous at the idea of introducing Ravi Zacharias that actually I completely forgot to put that warm tomato juice in the pulpit, and I remember him just going up to the pulpit before the service, checking to see whether it was there, and then just in a quiet and gracious word to one of his, one of his staff, just mentioning it, and then out came the warm tomato juice from the car or something like that. He was, he was a great man. He was a kind man. He was much used by God. I actually wrote a little um, poem, a little reflection on the life of Ravi Zacharias this week. I shared it on Facebook. You may have seen it. I'm just going to share it with us this morning. It goes like this. How we will miss him. A silence. It fills the air. A legacy. A lion. A voice. Stilled. How we will miss him. Words of precision and passion and clarity. A credible defender of the faith. Character. Christ-likeness. Faith. The grave, it shall not hold him. To depart, to be with Christ. Far better. 
but oh, how we will miss him. You know, when Billy Graham died a a little while ago, one preacher at the funeral, I believe, got up and said, the megaphone is silenced. It's time for us all to turn up our microphones. Similar sort of way, Ravi Zacharias has has died. He's gone to be with Jesus for the crown of righteousness that awaits him and like all who long for Jesus' appearing. And now we all need to turn up our microphones. And it is the sovereignty of God that will motivate you to do so. Let me explain why in a, in a final story from the life of Rabbi Zacharias. And you can get this, I think, on, the, uh, on their webpage. It tells in, in the obituary, but it's an amazing story. When Ravi was a young man in India, he was taken by his mother to see a fortune teller, a, a reader of palms, to, to tell, his, tell Ravi's fortune. And um, that palm reader looked at Ravi's hand and and. Oh, you won't go far. You'll never travel. You'll just be a local boy. But God is sovereign. (laughs) Ravi Zacharias (laughs) preached, I think, on every continent on the face of the planet. Goodness knows how many hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people. The sovereignty of God even over persecution and difficulty, is designed to cause us, God's people, to open our mouths, to close that gap. How about this week? You make it your ambition to share your faith with one person. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we do uh, thank you uh, for this story from uh, your word about uh, Jerusalem and Samaria. And we thank you for the way that you sovereignly used uh, persecution to wake up your church and cause it to speak. And not just the apostles, not just the ministers, not just Philip, but everyone to share the faith that you've given them. We pray, Lord, you help us to do that. I pray you'd help me to do that. Lord, that you would use this time not to be a time of disunity, division, dissension, nastiness, but instead to be a time of great commitment to telling people about Jesus. Oh, Lord, would you do it? we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.